Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. So what I'm going to be preaching or teaching on this morning is actually going to be a two-part message, but it comes under the umbrella, if you're part of City, you know that we're teaching and preaching on the kingdom of God all year. This month's focus is all about God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. And so what I'm going to be talking about this morning involves the day in the church calendar that falls on this Sunday. Who in our sanctuary knows what Sunday it is? Anyone know? Shout it out. It's Pentecost Sunday, exactly. And so what I'm going to do this message, and then the next time that I preach, I'll be preaching and teaching on Pentecost. We're going to take a look at the idea of tongues, which comes up in our reading uh, for the sermon this morning. And we're going to be taking an in-depth look at tongues and the gifts of the Spirit next time I preach and teach. But this time, what I'm going to do is give us the backdrop for what God does on the day of Pentecost and what's known as the birth of the church, the birth of the church. And so admittedly, this sermon's going to have a lot more scripture in it than normal, but what I do know is, as soon as we start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, or we talk about tongues, or we talk about other things, people begin to go, ah, I don't know about this. And so what I want to do is bring us biblically to the point where we'll understand what God did and why. I think it's important to do that. And so what I'd like for us to do is begin with the sense of this. If you've been around city any amount of time, you know this to be true. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. We're biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led. Why are we these three things? If you take a cursory reading of any of the Gospels, anywhere in the Newer Testament, these three things come up all the time. It's the idea of the efficacy of Scripture. It's the idea that we're called to do life together as Jesus' followers. And then we do it in the power of the Spirit. That's what the text teaches. And so what I want to do now is kind of give us a background for the day of Pentecost. Now, if you were here last Sunday and you heard my son's sermon on the ascension of Jesus and kind of the biblical theology behind that. Um, by the way, it's always interesting whenever Peter preaches, my son. Were you here last week? Any of you here to hear him preach? It's always amazing to me. People go up and come up and say to me, I love when Peter preaches. <laughs> and then they always say the next thing, oh, oh, but you're not that bad either or something like that. So look, I'm well aware that my son preaches better than me. Let's get over that. It doesn't embarrass me. And so... Let's be adult about it and move on, even though my pride is crushed. <laughs> anyway, so what we have is we've got a context where Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he was not one of the 12 disciples. Maybe you've never read the Bible. You've never read anything in the Bible. Here's something that's important to know. Luke was not one of the disciples, but he wrote one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was not one of the disciples, but what Luke was, was a medical doctor. He's a physician. Interestingly enough, there are more physical healings 
in the Gospel of Luke than in any of the other Gospels. Why? He's a physician, and he knows the power of healing. It would interestingly touch him. Here's the other thing. He has more about healings in his gospel, physical healings, and he has more about the Holy Spirit in his gospel than any of the other gospels. Very fascinating. But what Luke does is he writes his gospel, and then he's got part two, or the sequel. And where we're getting ready to look is in the book of Acts. So just picture it this way. The gospel of Luke is about the life of Jesus, his earthly ministry, up until the point of the ascension. And then the book of Acts is, what does it look like for a group of people to continue to follow Jesus after he's gone? By the way, that's you and me. And so the book of Acts is kind of the sequel or the second part of the life of Jesus and the church as they follow him after the ascension. Again, we're going to read more text than we normally do. But I want to begin reading now in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. You can pull out your smartphone or your Bible, or it'll be up on the screen. Here's what the text teaches. In my former book, again, this is Luke. He's talking about the gospel of Luke. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, which is the ascension, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, interestingly enough, I want you to notice there's a Greek name here, Theophilus. Now, that could be an individual, but Theophilus in Greek means lover of God. I'm among the theological bent that believes that Theophilus is for, in other words, this letter is written to anyone who loves God. It may have been actually a Greek person, but it could also be anyone who loves God, this is for you. So reading on it says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There's our theme for the year Again, the kingdom of God. Reading on, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if any of you have a Bible with footnotes, it'll say with, and if you look in the footnote, it says in. So it could be with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. It's an important distinction. In Greek, you can translate that word either way, reading on. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, I want us to be clear about something. Someone's parting words, when they know they're parting, it's hugely important. Hugely important. There's an old phrase, and it's called famous last words. My famous, my favorite famous last words are by Oscar Wilde. He was in a hotel room when he passed, and here's what he said. Either that wallpaper has to go, or I do. 
famous last words. By the way, he left and the wallpaper stayed. The hotel heard he said that and they took it down and they got the same wallpaper he had in his apartment in Paris and they put that on the hotel walls. But don't you think it's important that we would listen intently to what Jesus said knowing he's leaving? And as we look at the scriptures, what we discover is is that Jesus is talking to his disciples about the the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. He's been saying this throughout each gospel. Every time Jesus would say to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, they'd get depressed. And Jesus would say to them, don't worry about that. Don't worry, because even though that's going to happen, he'd always say the following thing, but I'm going to send the Spirit. So don't get worried, don't get depressed. As a matter of fact, Jesus once said, it's better that I leave so that I can send the Holy Spirit. And so this is throughout Jesus' teachings. And if you look in the Gospel of John, you'll see it's repeated a lot. And it's fascinating. The Gospel of John, Jesus says one time, he says, I will send the Holy Spirit. About a chapter later in the Gospel of John, he says, my father will send the Holy Spirit. In the next chapter, he says, I will ask my Father, and he will send the Holy Spirit. And you stop and you go, well, wait a second. Which is it? Is it Jesus that sends the Spirit? Is it the Father that sends it? Which is it? And the answer is yes. That's the answer. The Trinity is in 100% unity about sending the Spirit. This was what the Trinity had always intended to do. So now what we discover is is that Jesus announces to his disciples, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, the Holy Spirit will fall on you, and you will receive power. By the way, that's the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. In other words, you will receive dynamite to blow stuff up for the kingdom, right? In other words, whatever the Spirit's going to give you goes beyond human strength. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you in a way that goes beyond what you can do with just your own tenacity and picking yourself up and forcing yourself to go on. And so Jesus leaves with that announcement to his disciples. And again, if you were here last week and heard Peter's sermon, the text tells us clearly that they rejoice greatly, they went to Jerusalem, and they worshiped joyfully in the temple. They were excited about what Jesus had told them. Now what we find in our next reading is Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we read our text, and it tells us what happened on the day of Pentecost. So what we're going to do is, we're gonna, again, we're going to read a little bit more text than we normally do, and then I'll share some comments and some thoughts. Here's what Acts chapter 2 tells us. The Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, you may stop a moment and go, well, how do they know? Simple. How the Galileans dressed and their accent. It's just like our life. When you meet someone, you listen for their accent, you look at how they're dressed, and you say, they must be from Brooklyn, New York. They must be from Charlottesville, Virginia, or from Texas. Same thing. Now, reading on it says, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Now, just in parentheses, I put there are a list of 15 different areas from which the Jews have come from to Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot or Pentecost. And in reading on it says, amazed and perplexed, they, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Now, I want you to notice how it ends. People are speaking in tongues, and what's the response of some of the people in the crowd? They're drunk. I love Peter's defense when he gets up to preach. He gets up to preach and to explain what just happened, and here's his rationale that that's wrong. Literally what it says in the, in the book of Acts is, it's only 9 a.m. How could they be drunk? I don't know. I always find that humorous. I, anyway, back to the text. But here's a couple of things that's important for us to know in order to lay the foundation for what God is doing on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word that has the word 50 in it. Penta, 50. The Hebrew word for that is Shavuot. And it literally means 50 days. So the Feast of Pentecost is a feast where, the Feast of Shavuot, is a feast where Jews come to Jerusalem and it happens 50 days after the Passover. So I want you to picture this during the time of Jesus. You have the Passover, which is the ultimate feast of the seven feasts of the Jewish faith. Every Jewish man would desire to make one pilgrimage to Jerusalem in his lifetime for Passover. But if you made that pilgrimage, oftentimes the pilgrims would stay for 50 days. They would come for Passover and they would stay the, the 50 days following that for the Feast of Pentecost. That's why it says in what we just read that there were Jews from all over the world they were in Jerusalem. They had made a very lengthy pilgrimage. And it's like you do if you travel a long day or a long way. You don't want to just stay for two days and leave. So these women and men with their families had traveled all the way to Jerusalem. And they wouldn't just stay for Passover. They would literally stay for 50 days. Penta, 50. Shavuot means 50 days. And they would stay. Now, here's what's interesting. Shavuot is from the book of Leviticus. And in the Older Testament, the Israelites were commanded by God to celebrate God taking care of them by harvesting things. So if you were to read it in Leviticus, you'd find out very quickly it has to do with bringing grain into the temple and celebrating and thanking God for his provision in the springtime. It's an amazing festival. But here's something that's not biblical, but the Jews had noticed and believed. It's fascinating. What they said was, not only 
Is it the celebration of weeks, the seven weeks plus one day? It's known as the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. Not only that, but they noticed something else. Moses, they believed, took 10 days to travel from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Then it tells us in the Older Testament that Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and how long is he up on the mountain? 40 days. So the Jews had come to believe that this Pentecost or Shavuot was not only the Feast of Weeks or the celebration of harvest, now it's also a celebration of the giving of the law of Moses. And so they're celebrating the giving of the law. And it's this huge celebration that God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. And by the close of the first five books of the Older Testament, the Ten Commandments grow to 613 laws. And they're celebrating the giving of the law. It's an exciting time for them. So now we're at the day of Pentecost. Day of Pentecost is the conclusion of these 50 days. The Jews in Jerusalem are celebrating. They're rejoicing. It's a huge deal for them to be there for the feasts. And the text tells us that it's on that day, on the day of Pentecost, something incredible happens. It tells us that they are in this upper room. And when they're in this room together as disciples, the text says that there was a violent wind that entered the room. Not only this, there's the clear sense that it's not just the sound, but it's vibrating the room that they're in. It's a power that comes into the room. Then what happens next is there's fire that comes down and separates, and it rests on each of them. And the text says they begin to speak in languages they don't know. They begin to speak in other tongues. Well, what's incredibly fascinating is if you take the episode of the giving of the law of Moses from the book of Exodus, and you set it next to what happens in the upper room, there's direct parallels to what God did. There was fire on Mount Sinai. There's fire in the upper room. The mountain that Moses on was shaken by the power of God. The room that the disciples are in is shaken by the power of God. And what God begins to do is let his people know that he is, he's bringing birth to the new church, but it's now going to be not in the law, but in the power of the Spirit. It's no longer going to be about 613 laws. It's no longer going to be the new thing God is doing. It's no longer going to be having a list of rules that you follow. And if you follow them, you get it right. And if you get it right, you're acceptable to God. What God is now saying through the day of Pentecost is this, is that what he's doing is new, and it's going to be by the power of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now is going to be the center of what God is going to do in the world. By the way, you ought to be jumping up and down at this moment. It's no longer about a list of rules. People, it's about the power of the Spirit. It's no longer about 613 laws. laws. I've studied the Older Testament since I was 13. I can't even list the 613 laws. I can't remember. And now God says, I'm going to do a new thing among you. And this new thing will be through the power of the Spirit. 
And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, he says this to his disciples, will come upon you. And the Holy Spirit's going to dwell within you. And you're going to have dunamis. You're going to have dynamite from on high. And the Spirit of God's going to fill you and empower you to do this thing called the Christian life. I think it's key to know this. Now, what the text also teaches us is that in that moment, there are women and men who the Holy Spirit falls on and they begin to speak in other tongues. They speak in languages they couldn't have learned. The next time I teach and preach on Pentecost, which will be the follow-up to this sermon, I'm going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to talk about what they are biblically. I'm going to talk about what they've meant to me in my own life. I'm going to talk about the struggles that some people have had with the gifts of the Holy Spirit or speaking in other tongues. We're going to tackle all of that. But what I want us to understand is the foundational reality for looking at Pentecost and tongues and the moving of the Spirit is this, is that God, by his grace, love, and mercy, has poured out his Spirit. And I want you to catch something. It says they were in the upper room, and tongues of fire came and rested on how many of them? All of them. God is doing a new thing. And it's available for everyone, for everyone. They're there collectively as a group, but I want you to catch this, that God is uniquely doing something individually in each person. I don't know where you're at in your journey with Jesus, but when you think about feet to your faith for this message, I want you to think about this very, very carefully, very carefully this week. How open are you? to the Spirit of God being a part of your life. One of my greatest concerns pastorally for those who are worshiping online or worshiping here in the sanctuary with us is that we think the Christian life is about a list of rules. It is absolutely clear that that's no longer the case. God literally reenacts the giving of the law on Mount Sinai to Moses, but this time he does it in an upper room, and everyone gets filled with the Spirit. God has a desire for you and for me, and that is, is my life would be filled with the Spirit. Your life would be filled with the Spirit. That we wouldn't find the Christian life is about our strength, us trying to gump it up and get it together and follow the rules and all. That's not how it works. This life of following Jesus is about the power of the Spirit and me being open to him and you being open to the Spirit and being willing for the Spirit to fill us and to use us and to empower us. Again, the next time I teach and preach on this, I'm gonna talk about specifically that. What happens when the Spirit of God comes on a life? What happens when the Spirit begins to dwell in us and empower us? Here's what I would say. I would say in my own life that the infilling of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit has been the most transformational thing that I've ever experienced in my life. I've felt conviction of sin. I don't know how you are, but I need that. Am I the only one? I have been, I've felt the strength and the power to live a life that's categorically different than the life I had before Jesus. Not only that, 
The text teaches us, Jesus said, I will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will teach you the things I have taught you. What's amazing to me is how the Spirit of God can bring biblical truth to mind and biblical truth to heart at just the right moment. It's almost as though Jesus is there teaching us and giving us the text, and that's what Jesus said would happen. So I want to encourage you. I have no clue where you're at as a follower of Jesus. But if you've been struggling with the Christian faith, if you've been struggling with things about yourself in faith, I want to challenge you and encourage you, if not beg you, please be open to the Spirit. Jesus said, it's better that I leave, because if I leave, I will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will live in you, and the Spirit will give you authority, and the Spirit will give you power. Let's stand together as we close. Let's take a moment and open up our hearts to the Lord. We're going to sing a worship song for a moment together as a church family. And as we get ready to sing, I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes. Again, during this worship song, if you would like to come forward and kneel and pray, if you sense the Lord tugging on your heart, I just invite you to come and kneel here at the front on these steps. We like to say this area becomes an altar at this time, a place where we come and lay our lives down before the Lord. No one's going to come pray with you. No one will come and ask you. It's just a place for you to come and spend time with the Lord as you sense God calling you. But I would like for us to be open in this moment to the present working of the Spirit. To ask God to fill us anew. To ask God as a church that City Church would be a place with the power of the Spirit. And especially if your Christian faith has become a list of rules, I'm going to ask you to open up your heart to the Lord and ask Him to fill you and to give you that spirit, that dunamis from on high, that your life in Jesus would be lived in the power of the Spirit.